You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. We've got Isaac here with us again, being our producer and our link again. man and our and our <laughs> and our fact checker. <laughs> this bloody guy. Oh God, Isaac. <laughs> uh, Evie is out this week on assignment, but we have all the news of Hell World fit for another week. Um, <laughs> bit of. But the, what the, this podcast started during the uh, the massive bushfires in Australia, and uh, as always, the world is still on fire and still burning. So we've got a little bit of climate news up top. Less literally, but yeah, yeah. Like Australia is is not on fire literally, but metaphorically, I would say it definitely still is. Um, we've talked a little bit previously about the National COVID Commission, which is this thing that the government has set up to like oversee our economic recovery from coronavirus um uh, not not our uh, our medical recovery or our social recovery just the economic recovery and when they say our economic recovery they mean um rich old business owners um and when i say business owners i don't mean <laughs> i don't mean 711 or restaurants i mean preferably oil fields of some sort um so basically yeah, it's it's a cash transfer into the gas industry. Um, is that, because is, is this the the sort of the solution to sort of all of Australia's sort <laughs> of uh, political mystery here is they think that economy is a synonym for fossil fuels. And I if think, you sort of yeah. <laughs> look at it through that lens, everything kind of lines up with like the Liberal Party is the mm-hmm. good economic managers, which is mm-hmm. like if you think it means fossil fuels, mm. yeah, yeah, they bloody love them. <laughs> If you want somebody to just channel 100% of Australia's budget directly into the pockets of the fossil fuel industry, elect the, well, really fucking elect Labour as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh. Labour la- Labor is like, we're looking out for the economy as well. They also mean fossil fuels. Um, mm. Adani is good for the economy. Now, the only way that makes sense is if you read the economy as fossil fuels, because in every other way, it's, it's really, really shit. Um, but, not even, but not even shit environmentally. That does need to be stressed. It, Adani mm, is shit economically. Shit. Absolutely. It's not good economically. Like investing in fossil fuels at this point in time is yeah. bad economic management. But if you'd mean economy is fossil fuel <laughs> industries have number go up, then fuck yeah. Because you know what I think this might be is that for so long, um, the war between environmentalists and people who like fossil fuels has been played out on that. Oh, well, the environment's good, but we've got to think about the economy. And so the economy has just become shorthand for not the environment. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so when we say this is good for the economy, we mean this is good for not the environment. Um, <laughs> anyway. It just so means the- bad for the environment. Is it a thing yeah. where they look at the sort of like the the environmental <clears throat> protesters and then they look at the sort of like the fossil fuel company owners mm. and are like, I'm seeing a pattern here mm. where the environmental protesters aren't really wealthy. Mm. And the fossil fuel company owners are really wealthy. Mm-hmm. So I guess good economic management is owning a fossil fuel company <laughs> and not caring yeah. about the environment. I mean, we all know when they say economy, what they mean is just rich people. They don't give the slightest shit about the rest of the economy because most of the Australian economy doesn't run on fossil fuels. In fact, fossil fuels are just a tiny, tiny little fraction of our GDP, which is a shit way to measure anything, but that's what we're measuring. Um, most of the Australian economy is in the people business. It's it's hospitality, it's education, it's tourism, it's helping people stay alive and moving people around and uh, taking care of people. That's oh my God, that's what the, the economy the, is. 
that's the big three, hey. Like, <laughs> hospitality, we have destroyed penalty rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, university, they are not eligible for JobKeeper. Tourism, we will blast the barrier reef off the face of the earth, you mark my words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so the government hasn't been supporting these things. The arts as well. Like, huge mm. part of the economy. <laughs> But it is a part of the economy that is mostly not run by old rich white guys. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. It still very much is run by old white guys, but they're not as rich as the old white guys in other parts of the economy. <laughs> they, also won't, um, they also won't give them jobs in that industry. Like, I can't yeah, imagine, yeah. like, Scott Morrison or Tony Abbott becoming director of the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Like, that's not I mean, a revolving door between the federal government and the management of the Melbourne Comedy Festival. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same group. Come on. Follow the money. So, Read between the lines. So the National COVID Commission has been put in charge of overseeing our fossil fuel recovery um, and they've absolutely, <laughs> they have absolutely stuffed it just straight up with people from the uh, fossil fuel and mineral industry, like shamelessly. So uh, you might have heard Neville Powers, Neville Power? Shit. Neville Power. Power. Fuck him, who cares? Yeah, he, he doesn't deserve getting his name right. No, 100%. No, no. I'm going to do it anyway. Norman Pewa, who cares? <laughs> Hang on, can I can I finish that? So you might have heard uh, Neville Power is uh, I think he's he's the damn it now I don't even know what his role is. Neville, <laughs> he's the fucking director of the Melbourne fucking comedy festival. <laughs> <laughs> so you might have heard the COVID commission is headed by Neville Power, uh, who's this like big shot gas company, uh, you know, executive uh, on the Perth Airport board. His his whole business is is generally oil and gas. Um, there's, in fact, we'll link you in the notes to, there are lists of all the people on it and their affiliations with oil and gas. Their advisors are people from like the Saudi oil companies. Um, a few people on there aren't specifically fossil fuels. Uh, the ones who aren't specifically fossil fuels are generally very like liberal party, um, or, or mining or things like that. But just because you're in heavy industry doesn't mean you're entirely a shit guy. It just probably does. Um, one of, one of the people on the commission, because the, the commission, uh, report has actually been leaked. It was leaked about a month ago and surprise, surprise. It was all like, let's go absolutely ham on gas. So good on whoever leaked that. Nice work. Maybe just d- quit the commission while you're at it. But hey, um, Paul Bastian, uh, who is the national secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, um, who is involved with the commission says, Man, they are going way too hard on gas. They are not even considering other things other than gas. Um, and and even he's saying, look, oh, there might be some room for gas in Australia's future. But these guys are just not considering things other than gas. They haven't even been considering things like Australia's emissions um, aims. They haven't been considering... Uh, our renewable energy targets, what remains of them. They haven't been considering any of the, the factors like, oh, is, is the gas industry or gas economy as a whole going to absolute collapse and leave us with all these stranded assets, which it absolutely will be. That seems like something to at least consider. Right. Like, should we look, should we take a long, hard look at ourselves and see if we've got a future in this? Like, no, no, no. Let's just assume that everything's going to be fucking fine for the next 20 years. It didn't consider the financial risk of investing in fossil fuels as global (laughs) emissions are being cut. And if you're an economic air quotes recovery commission you think considering the financial risk 
That's like the one fucking job. thing we can agree on. <laughs> That's the only job you have is considering <laughs> yeah. the risk of investments. That's the, that's the point of you. Because the problem here is the risk of these investments is carried by the Australian taxpayer. Because um, we're going to be funding all of these gas subsidies, gas fields and things. We're going to be taking the cost, but we're going to be hiring private companies to run these things and build them. They're not going to carry the risk. They're going to build them. They're going to run them. We're going to pay them for that. And then when they go absolutely balls up, they're going to go, oh, well, that sucks for you guys. Um by we're foreign owned so we're just going to shut down this kind of part of our industry so yeah uh keep an eye on the ncc well that's it they might be foreign owned or they might be owned by people on the national covid commission because (laughs) what's what's come out is that the the government is refusing to release info about the conflict of interest of the national covid commission (laughs) eventually uh, we we initially learned that there was someone on there andrew liveris who's on the Uh saudi aramco board he was not originally required to declare conflict of interest because because he was a special advisor but now they're just the government is just flat out refusing to tell us any conflict of interest about this and we already know the the we know the broad strokes. Declare. Yeah. Oh, are any of you on the board of Saudi Oil and Gas? Uh, yeah, I am. Ah, look, that's fine. Like they're not telling us anything new. Now I got to point out that it's like not technically a conflict of interest because as the economic recovery engine for Australia post COVID, and we know that economy means fossil fuels. Yeah, having having fossil fuel XX on the board. Yeah. That there's no there's no stronger There's like, no conflict. That's why there's you There's no were conflict. Picked. It's it's <laughs> what you want. Um because I, I should remind you, this board was handpicked by the Prime Minister's office. There was no kind of uh, application process. There was no sort of outsourcing it to a pool or getting getting tenders or anything. They just hand picked people they want. Um Andrew Liveris, actually, by the way, uh I think is not being paid as a special advisor to the board. Um, so I, I should, I think <laughs> I that, really love that I, as an excuse. Oh, I'm not being paid. I'm just making an incredible amount of money by diverting uh-huh. the direction uh-huh. of a country's future into my back pocket. Yeah. I think <laughs> Asterix is not being paid by the Australian government. He's certainly we being fucking, paid by somebody. <laughs> oh, we talked about this in the fucking, in the, the special episode on Angus Taylor is the idea of like, I'm not getting a, an exact yeah. financial benefit from this one exact scheme. So we're all good. It's totally yeah. fine. Don't worry about the fact that my friends have followed me into every every company I've ever set up. Don't worry that, about the fact that I'm going to go into that business later on and I've just set myself up and my friends. No, no, no. I just don't yeah. get a check from them. So we're all good, right? Yeah. I, I got hired by the government a couple of weeks ago to give them advice on like uh, wages and uh, like, you know, basic income stuff. And I was like, we should guarantee $100,000 a year for people called Tom McLean. I didn't get paid <laughs> for that. Like, there's no conflict of interest there. I'm just happy to receive the uh, stipend that the government's just announced. Well, look, if yeah. it works, it works. Like Andrew Liveris is on the board of, of Saudi Oil and... Um, who have expressly said we want to expand operations in Australian gas. Okay, so the fact that he's now going, oh, what if just off the top of my head we expanded Australian gas operations? Everyone's like, oh, thanks, buddy. Just out of the goodness of your heart and checkbook. Um, <laughs> that's so specific. We'll get we'll fucked. get to some more of that later, but that's just so fucking specific. <laughs> we want to expand three gas mines in northern Queensland across before 2023, and Liveris is like, "What's our 2023 plan?" Just randomly, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. 
So uh, at the time of recording, there have been uh, yet more protests all around the country. Yesterday, on Saturday the 13th, there was more protests in um, Perth and Sydney for Black Lives Matter. Um, the one in Sydney this time as well was listed as definitely tr- like 100% illegal this time. You cannot do it. You're not allowed to do it. Um, so one thing I do like is that the organisers were sending out messages all over their social media just telling people to don their best uh, exercise outfit and just go jog around the block <laughs> just chanting whatever slogans you might want to do because yeah it, in New South Wales the restrictions have lifted to the point where I think it's groups of 20 or something but you can, you can have larger groups exercising together than you can protesting so they're just like I'll oh, just come and exercise just carry a big sign that this is not a protest sign this is a weighted exercise sale for resistance <laughs> <laughs> I've just branded it with one of my favourite slogans, but no, 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 I'm not in a protest. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, it was um, it was pretty much the same shit that we've seen um, before in Australia, which, you know, you know people coming out, uh, some cops being there, but the cops being this time on their best behaviour, but that's because they were busy this week. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it, some of the most embarrassing footage I've ever seen in this fucking country, we had... Dozens of police officers around the country standing guard around statues <laughs> because like in a really arms crossed tough oh, guy way. Oh, no real one's getting tough. through. <laughs> <laughs> we are the thin blue line protecting <laughs> Captain Cook from ground based attack. <laughs> from Antifa terrorists. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that half of them were on horses. Like, yeah. what are they expecting? A friggin' a, a phalanx of skirmishes to approach from the hills? A horse is not a defensive unit. But it's just... I, I think part of what got it for me was just the embarrassing spectacle of, like... Statues have been toppled all over the Western world now, and rightly Fuck fucking yeah. so, yeah. but yeah, nothing has happened in Australia. One Captain <laughs> Cook statue was spray-painted, and they arrested them the night of. They mm. arrested two women for doing it the night of. And so, like, it's just this overblown nothing response to something that, you know, may not have taken place. But, as um, friend of the pod Tom Tanaki said, if this is how the cops want to spend their fucking resources, fine. Mm. It is, the, it is yeah. the stance of not good enough that at some point, one of us will pull down a statue somewhere in Australia. Mm. Your move, police officers. <laughs> you better guard them all. <laughs> yeah, what, like, what is the end goal of this? There was a protest in Sydney. They were worried about a statue being pulled down that night. Uh, what about the next night? Like, are these poor sons of bitches just now on, like, statue duty? Like, that's, their, that's these cops forever now. Am I we will. Oh, sorry, guys. Captain Cook's still a pedophile. <laughs> we will give you. We will give you a hint, though, as to which statue it is. Uh, it is an old, white, powerful man. So, um, but yeah, like we mentioned last week as well, the media have had a um, a fun time describing why this is taking place. Sky News uh, reported that police were forced to protect Captain mm-hmm. Cook's statue. Didn't have any say in the matter. Couldn't have redirected resources to somewhere well, else. Couldn't even thing, let Mitch, it those, topple. Those those photos do seem really embarrassing of the police standing very arms crossed sturdily, but like not quite as sturdily as an iron statue on a big concrete plinth. <laughs> uh, but but they're still like you know oh we're we're here and we're protecting the statue, but 
this this is selectively edited footage, Mitch. You see, the, the, the police were forced to protect the Captain Cook statue, and if you had the full video, you'd see the full three hours beforehand of all mm. the protesters grabbing the police out of the station and dragging them to Hyde Park <laughs> and setting them up in that phalanx arrangement just so that they could take those humiliating pictures. This is a real, like, savage attack on the police by the left in Australia here. But obviously the issue here is the priorities, the sheer blatant priorities of the thing. Like... This is what they're choosing to spend their police budget on protecting. It's not, you know, when they, when they were going to put a highway through the sacred Aboriginal site. So when Rio Tinto just blew up a different sacred Aboriginal site or fucking anything else that goes down in this country, they're like, ah, yeah, we can't, that's, we can't divert police resources to that. We're too busy guarding this statue. You will never see cops standing picket on roads leading into the illegal or semi-legal mines across this country and and all the Mm. logging areas or the places Ah. where people are known to be illegally killing eagles, like uh, Angus Taylor's best friend. Like, that happens all the time and we know it's happening and the cops never interfere with that shit. What about Mm. those historical pubs that occasionally get demolished by developers who are doing a dodgy? The cops Mm -hmm. are never like, oh, I'm a bit worried about this historical pub that has been a threat to demolish it. No, no. It's purely ideological. it's making someone money. And I don't even think, like, it's it's ideological so far as if there was a good economic reason to get rid of the Captain Cook statue, it'd be down in a fucking heartbeat. Well, but a- it's because <laughs> the left want it down that now oh, it has shit, to stay I've up. that there's a vein of coal running through the, the, <laughs> the minerals that comprise the Captain Cook statue. That Captain Cook statue is very, very rich in, in metals. Um, and I think someone should let Rio Tinto know that Scott Morrison like throwing police aside. <laughs> blow that motherfucker up he was a get um, the bronze but so we're talking about um, talking about it being ideological um, it, it, like I, it's a it's a minor thing but I mean off the back of the Melbourne IMARC protests where a cop had eat a dick hippie as a uh, sticker right near his um, cop cam and another cop threw the alt-right OK symbol some footage has come out of New South Wales cops one of them throwing the uh, the OK sign as well um, don't want to dwell on it for too long but I think it's just absolute bullshit when the police department uh, release a statement saying well we asked him and he said it's not and he he's sorry and it's like well even if we take that at fucking face value even if we go oh okay he didn't know it was a it was a white power symbol Mm. he's a cop Mm. update your fucking practices all of your cops should know that that is an alt-right symbol that's very fucking important to understand yeah they Um, actually of course they do tying back to the captain cook thing they weren't just protecting it from all protesters though they did let through some protesters (laughs) they were the protesters who believed the statue was good they were the sort of what what do you call that alt-right white supremacist captain cook defending types uh chuds exactly um so the cops selectively allowed some civilian protesters through which meant they were choosing which side of that protest they were okay with uh, and no surprises for guessing that they chose the side that liked. Well, in this case, that, I think that's what kind is of anti because they were trying fascist. to. They weren't there to stop a protest. <clears throat> they were there to protect the Captain Cook statue, and mm. so were the five 
<laughs> you know, I mean, more nerds that well, were um, there as well. If all you have to do to get past a police line is saying, no, no, it's okay, I don't think black lives matter, like, <laughs> that's not very good security. Well, um, we'll post a link in the show notes to uh, Tom Tanaki, who did a bit of a bit of a deep dive into one of the chuds that's there. But uh, suffice to say, he used to be a rapper that went by the name mm-hmm. of uh, Beidou Yayo, and it's as fucking terrible as you expect. It's a pretty bad rap. <laughs> Um, but so on the- You think Captain Cook had a bad rap? <laughs> Wait, <I'm> t- <laughs> Fuck. Uh, but so, so all of these protests sort of, sort of take place and, um, like I said, a, a bunch of this stuff that's happening is, or a bunch of the commentary rather, is ideological. And so something that's come out recently from the Liberal Party is this call to uh, stop protesters from getting JobKeeper. Um, So it first came out from um, Liberal member in the House of Reps and anthropomorphic car dealership, Andrew Lamming, um, (laughs) who said protesters should hand back their money in advance if they want to go to this protest. Well, I'm asking that Australians just reflect on the fact that we're paying COVID and health-related payments to get through a crisis, but here we have rallies where people are blatantly ignoring clear and unambiguous advice. I'm challenging those protesters who are doing that, to hand back those payments in advance. You can't simply collect from the taxpayer with one hand and risk infecting them with the other. There's so many things wrong with that. It's making your welfare, which is which is the government's concession to, like, human rights, like, welfare and being able to live, it's making that condition on your political stance and your choice on how to exercise your Fuck. political stance, which is... Which is insanely anti-democratic. I fucking hate him. I, I think Ugh. that the welfare in Australia is not a concession to human rights. I you think don't... it is a, a pragmatic move made oh, by oh, the yeah. people who do understand history where they're like, look, we have a big group of unemployed people and if we also make them starve, then they'll kill us. <laughs> so let's give enough welfare that they yeah. don't kill us mm. and no more than that. There's, there's not any sort of degree of like, oh, it's better to live in a society where people aren't starving, so let's make sure that nobody's starving. There's, it, it's just like enough of them, I think, understand history to know uh, that yeah, they did. you can't have that many people that destitute without a, a literal uprising. So yeah. the problem with the ruling class nowadays is there hasn't been a violent uprising for long enough. <laughs> and they've forgotten. Comedy podcast. A comedy podcast. That's that's why JobKeeper was raised instantly, because you could not have that many people on welfare that was that low all of a sudden yeah. without it just causing massive issues. I mean, yeah. look at America. Uh. The other thing that I wanted to sort of hit on on this was that the reporting around this was that Matthias Corman was musing publicly that maybe protesters should have their their job keeper cut. And I looked into it like for this specific episode. I was like, oh, we'll get some quotes and I'll, I'll find the audio and whatever. And it was what got me was that it was yet more like like essentially like fossil fuel industry through the IPA through to Sky News through to politicians as this big weird like Ouroboros of manufactured consent where like the actual footage was of um on Sky News Peter Stefanovic was just saying like oh M- Mr Corman do you reckon that if some protesters were at the Black Lives Matter protest and in contravention of COVID-19 that you should just string them up would the Liberal Party, instead of being seen as big baby wuzzers that no one respects, do, would you do something cool instead? And it gives Corman the ability to go, oh, look, we're, 
We're thinking about it. And so, so Sky, Sky News put the words in his mouth. Sky, Peter Stefanovic, piece of shit, said... What if it's found that some of these protesters who, who are, you know, ignoring these rules are on job seeker? Should they lose that entitlement? Uh, well, look, I mean, that is a conversation that would be worthwhile having. But right now, it's up to the states. <clears throat> it's up to the states uh, to uh, impose the rules that they inflict on everybody else. And then Stefanovic asked it again and was like, oh, but, but... Exact same question again. So Corman then said it's something that they're uh, they're certainly thinking about it, and he's got uh, friends in the background that they're having conversations privately about. It's like one, you're a fucking politician, have that conversation publicly, you fucking yeah. coward. But two, it is just it is the media setting us up for that being a possibility, and then the politicians can sort of set it out there, and they've got plausible deniability. And if it doesn't take hold, then Morrison can go, oh no, nah, we never really thought about it. Well, but it's just really knows where it starts though, because I mean, very plausibly, ten minutes before that segment aired, mm. one of Coleman's staffers was like, oh, and you know that we've got to hit that uh, take away their job keeper line pretty hard, yeah. And Stefanovic is mm. like, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But that, well, that's take away the job keeper. I've got it. That's what I mean about it being a weird, disgusting Ouroboros is that you've got like Gina Reinhart funds the IPA. The IPA, if you don't know, are a conservative think tank that always essentially put out the most extreme version of what the Liberal Party want to do so that the Liberal Party can do maybe two or three of them, but pull the rest back and say, oh, no, it's too extreme. It's too extreme. We won't do it. So Gina Reinhart funds the IPA. The IPA give talking points to the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party then moves into business, into the fossil fuel industry. And there's just this big chain that goes all the way around. So yeah, staffers might have told Sky News that. The IPA might have told Sky News that. IPA might have told the staffers that. It's like, it's it's all the same apparatus. That's the thing. It's this thing that we've said before, which is that if you're in that position, you're not and and you're just you're asking politicians and ministers what they want to hear, or you're ask you're setting up talking points for them. You're not a journalist, you're not the news, you're PR. You're doing PR. um, And you're propaganda effectively. Um, because that's what political PR is. Yeah, it was the fucking Mr. Burns. Your campaign has the momentum of a runaway freight train. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh well, thanks, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Like, and it- I think, I think, uh, like in a situation like this, like you're working for Sky News, and Sky News is is blatantly uh, on on the side of the IPA and uh, you know the Liberal Party and stuff. But a lot of journalists, I think kind of absorb that and just assume that that's kind of their role to keep the politicians happy to do a good interview where everyone agrees and you get a pat on the head afterwards for asking them about the things they want to be well, asked so about. there is a genuine issue in this country with the relationship our press have with our politicians so mm. we have a like the canberra press gallery which is a bunch of journalists who have access to politicians and if that's revoked they mm. don't get the interviews. They don't get to ask questions. And so there's already an incentive in place for journalists to sort of toe the line and not be too hardball and not not go, not even go, go too hard, but not to do the bare fucking minimum mm. that's required of them as journalists. But the other thing as well is that every year in the middle of the year, there's this fucking winter ball that takes place in Canberra where journalists like rub elbows with politicians and they build up connections and relationships and whatnot. And if you don't get an invitation to that, you're on the outside. You're not taken seriously. You don't get any stories. You don't get any leaks. You don't get any of this mm. information. And so journalists that I know are like, oh, look, it's a pretty it's a pretty tough sort of situation that we're in. Like, we obviously want to break stories, but obviously we need the access and certain things. It's like- So fucked. No, seems- actually, they should be scared of you and they should mm. be pandering to you. It seems That's- pretty fucking stupid to me where you're like, oh, well, if I do the report on how this particular, you know, move was pretty corrupt, I- I- I'll lose access to that politician or all politicians. Like, 
what what kind of threat is that? Because none of them are being honest with you anyway. It's like, oh, well, if you do, if you dish the dirt on me, I'm going to stop sending you my press releases. That's like, true. No, it's won't. not just... <laughs> you only send out information that you want to get out anyway. So yeah. if you want it to get out, you're going to send it. And if you don't, then yeah. like, who gives a but shit? So you'll lose really? your access to so these puff pieces. The only, the only thing on top of that, though, is that they also get a lot of insider information. And so, like, mm, so they get the, the not insider oh. information though, because no, it is though. It is only release shit that they want out. No, yeah, no, 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 but, no, no. But it so means you get the puff piece before the other journalist. No, no, no. So not even then. So there's things like the Dutton or Pear scandal, the Barnaby Joyce scandal, uh, the Sports Rort scandal. They were all leaked. They were all leaked well in advance of when the stories broke because the journalists have access to that sort of stuff, and interested parties from the Liberal Party want to take down their Liberal opponents and blah 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 blah. So mm. the self-interested journalists are worried about missing out on the scoop that if they can like turn into a story of some type that they can like they, they can be the lead on that and they can make some breaking news and whatnot that's what they're worried about missing out on as well as the puff pieces like yeah the mm. the, the, the politicians will still send out their <clears> fucking <throat> press releases but there is there is an insider level to journalism in Australia that like like so like so many of these massive stories were sat on for six months to a year because they just don't have enough corroborating evidence or they don't have enough hard evidence mm. but they wouldn't know to even investigate it if it wasn't leaked to them which again is a totally fucked system because the barnaby joyce one for instance was broken by independent journalists to start with and then it was fucking stolen when there was enough evidence like yeah that that, i'm still challenging that honestly i still think that any journalist who buys into this bullshit about like oh access access like they're 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 fucking suckers this is like 100 if somebody's trying to take down peter dutton and they're like trying to get this information out the, you know, on the on the inside or whatever, they they they're just gonna send it out. Like if it's if it's real info that people want out, then they're just gonna send it. And if it's just a PR thing, well, then who fucking cares where? But it they're goes? not gonna send it to you. Like if if yeah. Peter Dutton's trying to take down one of his rivals, he's gonna send that info to his favorite journalist who's said nice things about him already. Um, yeah, but either way, you're still just doing PR for him. Yeah, yeah, but if you're a journalist and you're trying to like get a good gig then you need to like anyway it sucks and this is well this is what we we're talking about before about accountability is this is our version of guillotines and riots in a in a, a relatively peaceful uh period is you have journalists breaking these stories taking down people doing shit things and the politicians <laughs> should I've also be got to point afraid. out that none of the people that we're talking about who were you know huge air quotes taken down by these stories oh yeah they're not are, are even out of government no no yeah. no they should be taken down but but the politicians should be scared of journalists journalists should have the power over yeah, yeah, yeah. politicians because <laughs> the journalists represent the rest of the population they're our eyes and ears into the fucking shit that's going on in the running of this country and currently yeah. uh, the tail is wagging the dog yeah, McLean, you're you're one hundred percent right. You're one hundred percent right that they're suckers for thinking that. But knowing, making friends with journalists over the last three years, that is their worry. It is it is a and again because journalism in the moment for the most part is for profit as well. So you want your name on the byline, you want the prestige, you want to make a name for yourself, and that's a very terrible way to deliver information to the general public of a country is with a self interested profit chasing motive. It's yeah. News for profit. That's a story we haven't covered and Uh. can't be bothered covering. (laughs) 
So earlier this week, uh, Scott Morrison said that Australia didn't have a history of slavery. It was a pretty brutal place, but there was no slavery in Australia. This is in response to, uh, you know, all the Black Lives Matter protests in America. And he's like, this is an imported problem. Oh, America, they had slaves. Australia, they had no slaves. The, the, the colonists arrived. Beautiful Captain Cook, big handsome man. He showed up and he was like, <laughs> I found this lovely empty country. And mm-hmm. then later the first fleet arrived and they were like, great, there's nobody here. This is great. Let's set up our new country. And then the people that were here, there was nobody there, but the people that were there... <laughs> <laughs> cooperated nicely they hadn't bothered setting up any kind of civilization beforehand and they were just like great these people are all here this is lovely we can have houses now we can oh farming what we didn't invent that already like all this uh. kind of stuff that uh yeah it just really put my heart to rest uh mm. to know that australia's history squeaky clean thanks scott morrison well, what fucking sucks is that like that's very clearly facetious of you, McLean. I understand mm. it. Good job. <laughs> I like that joke. Good job. But like, that is my the history of Australia that I was taught yeah. in primary school. That's like, and that sucks. Like, that's hurt. It's Australia started at the first fleet. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. so the, the real story, just the the cliff notes of it, is uh, Cook showed up. He was like, cool. He like, uh, I, I, if I remember my history correctly, was like taking pot shots at Aboriginal people from his ship with a rifle, uh, yeah. and then like they, you know, colonized the land, genocided a bunch of people, um, pretended that there wasn't a civilization there as they stamped it out with the the sort of English colony, mm. um, uh, enslaved. I'm just going to say it. They enslaved a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got them to build up all the infrastructure of the nation and. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and honestly, Cook didn't even uh, wasn't even the first white person to discover Australia to to come across <laughs> it. The Dutch were trading with the bloody Aboriginal people for for years. Yeah. yeah. Cook did nothing, and he was a bastard to do it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I want to put. I want to tear down his statue for that reason. Yeah. Um. And so Scott Morrison said that uh, slavery never existed and then there was a very quick turnaround on his apology and as you would fucking expect, his apology was the I'm sorry if you're offended apology mm. because because we're idiot rubes that didn't get what he meant and what he, mm. what he meant when he said Australia does not have a history of slavery was... The comments I was referring to was to how the New South Wales settlement was first established and the views uh, that were communicated at the time informing the New South Wales colony. And if you go back to people like William Wilberforce and others, they were very involved in that first fleet expedition. And one of the principles was to be that Australia, or in that case New South Wales, uh, was, was not to have um, lawful slavery. I mean, it's it's very clear. It's the, it's pretty much the same fucking thing. Fuck you, Scott Morrison. God damn it, I hate him. It's this just is also so fucking transparently bullshit. Because the reason that he was nothing. talking about Australia's legacy of slavery was in response to the Black Lives Matter protests. And yep. so, if you're like, oh come on, Australia doesn't need a Black Lives Matter protest, don't you guys realise that the laws Wilberforce hoped to establish in the first colony of New South Wales didn't include legalised slavery? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's such a. <laughs> it's such a relevant. Oh. It's didn't he nothing. also didn't he also say something in reference to like it wasn't slavery we had blackbirding So this is something I definitely wanted to wanted to touch on I I I've been like furious like that churning stomach anger for fucking days about this So there is a term a euphemistic term blackbirding which is just slavery <laughs> I do not understand why we have to have this fucking euphemism blackbirding sounds like like a disney princess putting out a hand and whistling and a fucking finch lands on it 
Like, look, it's the Hungry Jacks of slavery. It's the it's same nothing. thing. It is. It, we need to call it what it was. It was not blackbirding. It was tricking people into slavery. So yeah. throughout Australia, we have this history of blackbirding where we would go over to places like Vanuatu and the Samoa Islands and just the, the islands up north as well as throughout the Indigenous population in Australia. And we would capture people just straight off of the beach as one mm-hmm. thing. But the, the, the weaseling out of it that Scott Morrison is hoping to do is that blackbirding also includes a bunch of people who were just very badly underpaid and a mm. bunch of people did actually sign contracts to do this. And it's like, mm. I don't think the people of Vanuatu were well-versed in contract law from the 19th century, fuckhead. Like, they it's were not a thing. tricked into it. Um, yeah. And, and when, you get, when you get tricked into working somewhere and then you don't have the option to leave, actually, there is a word for that. Um, it's slavery. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it is it is in no way, shape, or form not slavery. The, what what blackbirding could not exist today, or it shouldn't have existed back then because Wilberforce didn't have the laws for it. But mm-hmm. it is it is in every way, shape, and form something that was and is illegal. And yet Australia was built off of it. Our our status as the lucky country with all of our like natural resources and the wealth that we've gotten from that, like our sugar canes in Queensland were staffed by slaves. They mm. were they built up so fucking uh, Robert Towns, who was a notorious not slave owner, had a whole North Queensland city named after him. Mm. Townsville. And, it, and it, also, he, he started doing that in eighteen sixty. Like, this isn't hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They stopped, they brought in a law to stop this, like, uh, what they call them Kanakas, the slave uh, cane-growing people. Um, they brought in a law to stop that in 1901. And so this is the thing as well that people um, don't understand. This is the second point I wanted to get to as well. But, um, like, this type of, like, blackbirding and this type of um, literally not paying wages, which is slavery, mm-hmm. um was happening up into 1970. 1970. And that's not just like people weren't being paid properly up into 1970. There is um, someone, we'll link in the show notes, um, Imelda Davis. Her, she is alive today and her grandfather was blackbirded. Mm. It's not that long ago. It is, we, we don't not, we, we not only have a history of slavery in this country, People who are still alive today were beneficiaries of slavery or they were slaves themselves. Mm. I mean, we still have slavery in this country. <laughs> let's let's not fuck around. Like, yeah. we, we've got the you sort of, like, classic slavery underground, like, you know, hidden from the authorities, but we've kidnapped somebody and they're forced to work for a slavery. But we've also got, like, you know, the, the, the vast majority of theft is wage theft. Mm. Like, th- this is... A situation where, like, we have millions of people who are in work who are not being paid adequately, who couldn't leave if they wanted to because we've also destroyed the welfare state in this place. Like, people can invent new atrocities throughout history and you can figure out ways to do new horrible shit that doesn't technically meet the definition of the old thing. You're just like, all right, so we've all agreed that slavery is bad. You can't put someone in shackles and make them, like, build you a railroad. So we'll just, like, get rid of the shackles, we'll get rid of the railroad, but they're still working for us, they still can't leave, and we're still not really paying them because we have $100 trillion and they make four cents an hour. Like, that's... Hmm. I mean, if you're feeding your slaves in, you know, 1900, you're paying them more of a percentage of your wealth than a a billionaire who's bloody running an Amazon warehouse today. Yeah. 
I mean, you've still got fruit pickers uh, in Australia where they get like uh, foreign workers or immigrants or, or people on like a work visa and they pay them like eight bucks a day or something and they charge them for their accommodation and they make their ability to stay in Australia contingent on them happily still working for this fruit farm. So that's slavery. Mm-hmm. Worth, worth noting on that, and this isn't just like, oh, it's just bad labor conditions. Like some of those people that own those fruit farms take their passports away from them and yeah. then dangle it over their head as like, you'll be deported or you'll, I'll take you to the authorities. Like that's that's slavery. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is as well, just just so you don't coercion. think- just, just dear listener, so you don't think that we're sort of, you know, going off on one of those lefty tangents that I don't know why you listen to the pod if you don't like that. But <laughs> like, this is this is legit. This is recognised by state and federal governments. And like, I, I want to, I want to hammer this because I mean, it's a, it's also a good news story. But um, the Queensland government has agreed, in principle, to uh, pay back 190 million dollars in compensation for stolen wages, which was stolen wages up to 1970. So the people who did the work could still be alive to get that money. That only happened last year. Mm. This is how new it is all the time. Like this, this, this is an ongoing issue. This isn't, and I think it is a, it is a, a technique of conservatives like Morrison to pretend it's well in the past to every time you mention it, just push it back another 50 years. Like just, just, just keep pushing it back and pushing it back, and it's, it's an ancient history. Don't even worry about it. To the point where Scott Morrison had the fucking he he legitimately said this. I watched it and listened to it with my own face, and my face nearly melted off. He said, "I'm not, I'm not getting into the culture war. I'm, I'm not interested in what people are tearing down. I'm interested in what they're building up." Yeah, they're building up a fruit growing empire on the back of slaves. So the wealth transfer from the poorest to the richest in Australia under the cover of economic recovery and economic stimulus during the pandemic continues apace with the um, the latest thing, which we didn't cover last week, home builder. <laughs> this is legitimately how, how it happens. If you earn less than $125,000 a year as a single person or $200,000 a year if you're in a relationship mm-hmm, and you have planned... $150,000 worth of renovation, what? you can apply to get $25,000 off that. So 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 you have to look at it, you have to be earning less than $200,000 a year and be able to go, hmm. You know that $150,000 renovation. You know that thing that is literally 75% of our annual wage that for that one renovation. We could we could do that at one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. Does that sound good? And then you go, yeah. And then you apply for it. That's going to restart the economy for sure. It's just it's insane. It is fucking insane. Like, it, just the idea that it has to be means tested like that. So, like, you could go through sort of piece by piece. If you said, you know, if you're on two hundred k a year. And you have any sort of like emergency work or like uh, like building or something that needs to be done. Or if you've got, you know, dangerous long-term stuff in your house, we can just fix it. You don't have to dob in your landlord. They've been ignoring it for a while. Or maybe landlords can apply and you can get all that black mold removed and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Or let's go with the $150,000 renovation thing. Maybe you can say if you've got $150,000 renovation coming up, um, you can... No, I think if you've got that, you should just be dobbed in and, and taxed more. But there's still ways to do yeah. it, which like, aren't say, means tested to shit. 
oh, what if you want to get uh, a new water heater or some solar panels or double glaze your windows? They're all yeah. smaller jobs. They might only cost a couple of tens of thousand dollars at most. Um, we'll give you some money for that. That means we can get lots of people doing that all over the country. That's going to be way, way more helpful for the economy because the economy works mostly. The money gets spent by people on everyday things, on smaller purchases. The really big purchases are not stimulating the economy in anywhere near the same way because those people have already saved up a lot of money. They're sitting on that money. They spend it all in one big go to someone else who then sits on a big pile of money. It's the little tiny things that keep the economy actually going. This is just, hey, how can we give more cash to wealthy retirees? So, so th- yeah. That's that's the thing is that like on the surface that just looks insane. Like the first time I read it, I was like, "That no one benefits from this. This is just a, a phrase. This is literally just a phrase, and nothing will ever happen from it." But it is it is genuinely a wealth transfer because sure as shit, the way that they are going to means test that two hundred thousand dollars a year is from your tax return, which means that it is your income based on $200,000 a year. Now, we don't know the exact measurements that they'll be using on this, but like you just mentioned, Lang, retirees don't have an income, so they're going to be getting heaps less than a $200,000 a year income. The people that can live off of the interest on their retirement fund do not get taxed in the same way as an Mm. income from a job, so they'll be fucking um, eligible for it. Capital gains tax on any sort of investment whatsoever, not outside of a retirement fund. Will I'm I'm just speculating here, but fucking mark my words, it, that's also going to um, not be judged against that two hundred thousand dollars a year. And you, you the main probably, thing, um, you probably leverage your your mortgage on your second property to get this yeah. happening. So that's the thing. This is negative gearing is a thing because it reduces your taxable income. So the people who are negative gearing are going to be doing more renovations on their fucking houses. Like the whole system is just corrupt, and it's just insane that this time they were like. Oh, we don't care about trying to hide it now or making it complicated. Here you go. Just well, money. Every single time they do it, they get away with it. So, you know, they're, they're just like, oh, so, you know, remember a couple of years ago where we just gave $400 million to the Great Barrier Reef Foundation who weren't doing anything environmental, they were just our mates. Uh, nobody got in trouble for that. Like some people got sort of sassed a bit in the press, but nobody lost their job. <laughs> nobody got any kind of demotion. No, nobody got in actual trouble. And yeah. from there, they were just like, oh, shit, we could just get away with anything. Hey, uh, we're going to give $100,000 to everyone with more than a million dollars. That's the whole deal. It's not even for anything. And for a week, the press will be like, that sounds dumb. And they'll be like, I don't yeah. know. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> the end. The, the millionaires get $100,000. Boom, boom. Here's a blatant one. Um, so this is retirees who aren't super rich. Um, the government had a scheme. It was, it was about $9 million dollars delivering emergency food supplies to older Australians during the pandemic. Um, So these are the older Australians who don't have a second or third property that they're planning a $150,000 renovation (laughs) on. These are the old people who need meals on wheels. Um, So the government said, right, 36,000 food boxes, $9 million, get them out to those old people who are struggling to leave home to go to the shops because of the pandemic. Fantastic. That's a a good thing. Um, Maybe we could have had more. Maybe $9 million is not a lot, but that's, that's a great start. Um, they delivered 38 boxes. <laughs> Me. 38. I'm just going to do a Out quick, of I'm not a math guy. So, hang on. 9 million <laughs> divided by 
38. So each one of those food boxes would have actually been pretty nice because they were worth $244,736 each. Wait, really? May I suggest? No, no, they didn't spend all the money. Um, <laughs> no, <okay. really? laughs> thanks, Lane. <laughs> but actually, now that, now that, I was going to go on this whole riff about like fucking food. Food bank really shouldn't have been sending out caviar and oysters. <laughs> so, but but now that you mention it, the actual original estimated cost was was nine million. Let me just bring up the calculator here. Divided by thirty six thousand is yeah two hundred and fifty dollars a box was their original plan. So that's still insane. That's still a like, lot. Like that's yeah. still. I mean. You, now, put in, you put in labor and you put in effort. Maybe you get all organic stuff and you yeah. make it really hearty. Look, $250, I will I will say, if you're a retiree that needs Meals on Wheels, $250 yeah. a box during a fucking pandemic, fine. Maybe it's a Tax me box. for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I, it's a, a couple of weeks worth. Now, here's I, the I've thing. I've got to say that this is a pretty reasonable sounding business expense to me because you've yeah. got like the meal itself and then you need to hire a driver yeah, to good point. obviously take those meals around and then yeah, you yeah. need a sort of big infrastructure to make sure that not a single fucking old person who doesn't deserve it gets one of those meals. If you're earning too much, you fucking turn away, you piece of shit. And then you need to hire a security guy to go and beat the faces into those old cunts who are taking their meals from the people who deserve them. It, it, those costs add up. If you're earning too much, we'll just subsidize your renovation. Um, now, here's the thing, though. The reason they think that there were only 38 of the 36,000 food boxes delivered uh, is because demand was low. Uh, which means referrals to this program, because this is not something that that they just gave out to everybody. You had to actually apply for oh, this. Oh, fuck off. So you had to maybe be referred to it. Um, you had to apply for it either by the internet or over the phone. So here's the thing. You're an old Australian who yeah. lives independently and needs help getting food or going to the supermarket. My bet is that you're probably not super internet savvy. Just get you're the You're probably not on the hunt for government subsidy schemes to deliver food at this trying time. And you're living independently, so you probably don't have family members there with you keeping an eye on your situation who are able to help you do these things. No fucking wonder this didn't have a huge uptake. You've planned a shit program. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, That's, I was... Uh- that's disgusting. I was joking, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's You've like, got the infrastructure that makes sure that only the people who need it get it, and that means that nobody gets it. Meanwhile, the coronavirus response in, say, Vietnam, where there was basically a hotline that you call up being like, I need some food, and they send you some food, no questions asked at the end. People got food out of that. Vietnam did really well in coronavirus recovery. Yeah. Or you send them a letter. They're old people. Send them a letter, say, do you need food? Pop this back or something and we'll give you food. Put a flag on your front gate. We'll drop some food around. Yeah. It'd be like if you wanted to reach, I don't know, 12-year-olds and so you put a posting in the Saturday age. They're not going <laughs> to read it. Put it in Fortnite. Only the put worst 12-year-olds are going to read it and you don't want them getting it. Oh, God, I just imagined a 12-year-old who reads the age. <laughs> mm, you didn't like what you saw. It's Caleb, Caleb Bond. Bond. Little shit. I hate him. <laughs> Some bullying's good Reverse is all I'm saying. Reverse shout out to Caleb Bond. <laughs> it's not an ad hominem. We're just bullying. Um, but yeah, so the, the food box is a long line of um, uh, just just relief not reaching the right people. Um, Bushfire relief. As a quick Didn't update, happen. it's just not happening. Yeah, the nah. bushfire relief is just still ongoing. Some people didn't. They, they, some people have spent uh, upwards of five months, once a month, going back and forth with the people like the Red Cross or people like the government, 
just saying, no, my, my, my postcode was definitely affected. You can see it right here on a map, how my postcode just doesn't fucking exist anymore. And they go, mm, we're going to need to double check. And just, and just the bureaucracy of it all has kept up literally tens of millions of dollars from getting into the pockets of people that need it. So yet again, fuck this government. Because yeah, it's very whole- easy to pledge a lot of money. And then you can get all the, the positive press and then oh, actually delivering the money. No one gives you positive press for that. So why bother? Love yeah. pledging money. You've got like, all right, we're going to start up this, you know, $500 million program to give $500 million to all the people who need it. And then you spend $100,000 building up a bureaucracy that can look at all the paperwork and be like, none of them needed it. And you're like, what a successful program. (laughs) That is the food boxes program. That is the bushfire recovery program. That is 100% of Centrelink. That is- Is the coronavirus job keeper fucking whatever- yeah, mm-hmm. it's just that's the way you do it in the government is announce it and then you fund the bureaucracy to tell people that they don't qualify and you don't mm-hmm. have to do anything. And then you spend $50 billion on French submarines, which you never get, but you keep that on the download. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> Tinto. Oh, they apologized. Yeah, it was really good of them. We're we're sorry. Sorry, we didn't know. You did know. Oh, sorry, we didn't care. <laughs> we'll endeavour to try to set up a committee to look into caring in the future. Yeah. Well, we'll do a royal commission on if we should punish <laughs> mineral industries for ever doing anything bad. Uh, spoiler: yeah. We'll staff it with people from mineral industries. Well, um, mean, it's a royal commission, Lang. You can't staff it with the wrong people. It'll yeah. just be like uh, it's just ignored. We've concluded that. Yes, we should. And they'll be like, none of the recommendations of the Royal Commission have been implemented in the last 30 <laughs> years. Like every other fucking Royal Commission, it's the, it's the, I'll take that on notice, but sort of at a bigger scale. Yeah, so Rio Tinto did apologise uh, for blowing up the culturally significant gorge that they knew full well was culturally significant because they had made a documentary about it uh, themselves and they'd known for years. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, That's Rio so Tinto... Ominous. Knows back to front exactly where all of the culturally significant lands are because they have an army of lawyers whose job is figuring out who owns or has claims to everywhere in Australia. Um, But they also have an army of lawyers convincing politicians and anyone who has a say to look the other way. Um, And to honestly, to write the laws of the country um, and to work with organisations like the IPA and the Minerals Council who basically runs the government um they yeah they run this shop and on the very very rare occasion where they blow up something that uh that they can't keep under wraps or or that too many people care about and and we kind of get on their case and some journalists do their job they they issue an apology like this now they've already blown it up what's going to happen to that land now uh are they going to go oh well May as well get the iron ore out of it. Like, yeah, it'd 100%. be a waste. It'd be what? disrespectful if they didn't. Do they own that land now? Like, I don't actually know what's going to happen there. And I bet this story is going to disappear uh, from the press. Um, because, you know, everyone's had a bit of a hubbub. They've all gone, oh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, Rio Tinto's bad. And then they move on. Uh, and then the bad things continue to happen. Because it's the same reason the press has stopped covering protests so much in America um, because they've stopped being uh, so, like, clashy and there's stopped being things being set on fire. But the protests are still happening because the problem hasn't been solved. 
just the newspapers now looking for an, another bit of conflict. Yeah. Um, Yet again, not ever thinking that they are setting any agendas as well. They're just just mm. reporting on it, just reporting on it, not not directing your attention away from the things you should definitely be looking at. Just I oh, just you know telling it like it is. That's that's another thing that that that. I, I meant to mention earlier, but completely forgot about because it is really fun to get drawn up into the the ridiculousness about the the people who are protecting the Captain Cook statue. <laughs> but the protests are Black Lives Matter protests. They're not mm. anti-statue protests. No. Some statues have been destroyed as part of the protests, but the protests are not for that. And the fact that the discussion is around whether Australia has a history of slavery or whether Captain Cook was good or bad or whether a statue should be destroyed or not. Or how peaceful the protests were or were not. Well, I, I think the peacefulness of the protests is, is, is a sort of meaningful thing to talk about. But the historical thing is like, people are dying, Aboriginal people are dying in prisons today. Mm. It's not a historical legacy thing. Aboriginal people have been dying in custody for hundreds of years since Australia was founded. It's built on that. But they are still dying today. We still have unaddressed sort of actions from the Royal Commission into deaths in custody that are 30 years old that haven't been acted upon. The protests are not, we need to take down the statues of Captain Cook. We need to, Mm. like, you know, restructure things. It's like, stop fucking killing black people. That's the that's the main demand, and the the press is like really contorting themselves, and like we are too. We talked about Captain Cook for Yonks, the the to talk about anything other than that. Mm. Yeah, and you, I think you see this a bit with with every protest, whether it's a climate protest or a refugee protest or a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, is uh, newspapers love to cover the fact that there is a protest and how many people were at the protest and what the police response was and and some things like that. But but very rarely do they say, oh, let's examine the issues prompting this protest. Uh, they, w- they will mention a little bit, but the headline is never the climate is really bad or the headline is never refugees are still in detention. It's always there is a protest. Um, which yeah. I guess is the point of the protest to get some attention, but it's like, Journalists and newspapers are doing everything they can to not actually report the message of the protest. Yeah. But they will happily report straight up what the police say about the protest. Yeah, because if you report what the protesters are saying, then that's biased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got to um, be neutral. In uh, foreshadowing news uh, on the blowing up of... Um, significant and sacred Aboriginal sites. Uh, it's been reported the BHP has plans for at least forty sites to also get blown up mm-hmm. coming up in the future. Forty. Yeah. I just like I think you mentioned last last week or the week before, Lang. Like, at some point, mm. but just like, what? Why the fuck can you just not go somewhere else? Like a a, a small amount of the country mm. is has um uh like is protected. And shouldn't be blown yeah. up. Like, can you can you at least try to go somewhere else first? Here's the thing, and yes, they absolutely should, and fuck them. Um, I think Australia probably anywhere that you want to put a, a gigantic iron ore mine, because these things aren't a little hole in the ground. It's fucking you're demolishing something the size of a town. You're digging a yeah. giant crater in the ground. I think pretty much anywhere you wanted to do that in Australia with a decent iron ore deposit would have some cultural significance because Australia is a land that has pretty much been entirely uh, occupied over the entire landscape for hundreds of thousands of years by by various uh, groups um, 
Yeah. And so I think you, you probably can't throw a rock in Australia without hitting something that is important to some Aboriginal people. And you shouldn't um, do that. And you shouldn't throw rocks because <laughs> that rock Cultural was probably important as well. Um, just- and that's and I'm not downplaying that. I'm not saying that, oh, there's so many sites that what are you bloody going to do? I'm saying that maybe you just have to, like, if you wanted to put an iron ore mine anywhere in Melbourne, you'd have to demolish someone's house. Like, and so that's why we don't do that. Maybe we need to find better ways of getting our iron ore than digging big holes in people's, like, bloody traditional lands. Um, oh, is that going to be a bit bit harder than digging a big hole in a traditional land? Hell yes, sure. it is. It's going to cost a bit, bit of money. You're probably going to have to pay some people to dig a slightly more complicated hole or put a hole elsewhere or recycle some of your already existing iron or something. I don't know. I'm not a metals engineer. Um, <laughs> oh, but you've but got if- to consider, Lang, that Rio Tinto would make slightly less profit if that happened. Exactly. And uh, what does that mean for the people of Australia? Mm. It means if- the economy is going to fall down. Because Rio Tinto can spend a shitload more money finding that iron ore before it starts to cut into like their profit margins. So maybe they should. Nah. The, the argument is always like, oh, but if we like made them do that, then they would just like take up their business and go somewhere else. And it's like, yeah. well, th- that, that's yeah. also what we're trying to make them do. So <laughs> um, go somewhere else. That's the whole point. Just um, a just to wrap up on the uh, a last little bit of good news though, which um, I do like about this. A couple of weeks ago, the uh, Fortescue Metals Group lost their High Court appeal against the Yinjibandi people of the Western Australian Pilbara region. Um, Fortescue were contesting the native title rights in the area, and they fucking lost. Good, good. It's fucking. It is. It is good. It is really good news that it went it up to the FMG. They went yeah, up to the High Court. Is, this and, is uh, another example. It's cheaper for them to try and remove the native land rights of these people than it is for them to try and mine somewhere else. Yeah. Which goes to show, like, the amount they don't care and the amount of money they have to spend in fucking people over. Yep. Um, just as a little thing as well, we love our recurring characters here on the pod. Um, FMG were represented by uh, recurring character Brett Walker, SC. Uh, whose previous hits include fighting against plain packaging for cigarettes. That's that's fighting against plain packaging yeah, for cigarettes. Yeah, tobacco company. Yep. But also he was he was pro getting George Pell out of jail. Yeah, um, he was George Pell's defense. Yeah. Are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> is, Brett, is Brett Walker the bad guys? No, no, no. Someone needs to do the job. And, you know, that's, there's no justice in the country if you don't if you don't have lawyers representing even even the worst people. All right, Brett. But maybe, like, at your office, just start drawing straws instead of putting your fucking hand up like yeah. that nerd in year four. Like, stop yeah. stop maybe being the dude for it. We've spoken about Brett Walker before. He's done some good stuff as well. I'm not even going to list them because fuck him. But if you look at <laughs> Wikipedia, there's a couple on there. You're like, oh, that seems good, though. Mm, but this is just, character. like, fucking Judas Iscariot hung out with Jesus Christ as a disciple for a while. Doesn't fucking make a difference. Fuck yeah. you. Hitler had a dog and killed Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying Brett Walker should kill oh, himself. Fuck. No, uh, but we're saying that if he did kill Hitler, it still wouldn't make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
shout outs this week. This one comes from uh, Evie, who is out on assignment this week, but she wanted to call out the Friendly Geordies video he made about Rio Tinto being an incredibly evil company. Um, Geordies has just gotten really sharp and really pointed uh, in the last six months. And uh, I also personally recommend checking out a bunch of his stuff. There is a lot of uh, really good reporting in his videos, as well as some really puerile humor that appeals to <laughs> my, uh, my early 90s self. I mean, if you're sort of already sort of pulling at the edges of, of sort of Australian leftist comedy uh, enough to find us, you're, you're probably already aware of Friendly George. But, the, but his Rio Tinto video is, is genuinely uh, shocking. Fuck Rio Tinto's evil. Mm. Oh, boy. Um, and I also really enjoyed uh, a column this week called Griftwatch. Uh, Asher Moses has put together basically a really good summary of just tons of the horrible, corrupt, rorty shit that the government has been doing. A lot of this is stuff that we've talked about on the podcast before, but if you aren't going back and listening to every episode of the podcast, A, why? What have we done to offend you? It's free. What are you doing with your time? Um, it's good. And, and B, uh, this is a really great summary. And honestly, he's probably done a much better journalistic job than we have because we're a comedy podcast and you can't sue us. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can send us an email, notgoodpod at protonmail.com or send us a message on any of the socials at notgoodpod. We really love hearing from you guys. It's always great when we get stuff through. And um, also, it'd be really great if you could rate us on whatever podcast app you're on and definitely share us this week as well. It really helps us get out to uh, many more listeners. Yeah, yeah, that's the pod. Yeah, yeah. Let's finish on the Hitler gag. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel dirty. Um, Not as dirty sh- as Brett Walker. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't feel dirty. That's the problem. He feels fine. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah, fucking having a lot of money can buy an awful lot of good showers. Mm. Yeah, just having mm. a big shower every day. Mm-mm. I'm so clean. So clean. This running water over my head makes me not have to think about the horrible things that I've done and all the people that I've hurt. Me, me, clean. Such a shiny, clean Brett Walker. <laughs> <laughs>Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, We want to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and to remind everyone that this land was never ceded.